This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. www.brfcs.com By the fans for the fans since 1996. Welcome to BRFCS podcast number 74. I'm Wen Waihu, the BRFCS editor. With me in the virtual studio today are Chief Reporter Cammy and Assistant Editor Eddie. The last podcast was the handover of BRFCS from uh, Glenn and Steve uh, to myself um, we had a, a really good uh, chat with Glenn and Stee, and uh, since then, uh, on the forums, uh, Glenn and, and Stee have uh, posted their goodbye message, and we've had uh, a really great response to it. Uh, thank you ever so much to everyone for responding. Uh, I think uh, Glenn and Stee uh, really deserve uh, an awful lot of credit for uh, the way that they've uh, uh, looked after the BRFCS site and the community for the last 10 or so years. Uh, thanks ever so much to them and once again and uh, to uh, everyone for your contributions. Um, now, since the last podcast, uh, there's been one or two things happening behind the scenes. Um, there's been a little bit of a delay in getting things going, uh, mainly because uh, um, I, I didn't have the requisite permissions behind the scenes and uh, I was uh, basically groping around in the dark for, for things, uh, not realising that I didn't have the right permissions. Uh, that's been sorted now, so I, I can actually see what I ought to be seeing. And uh, I'm, I'm starting to develop things behind the scenes. And uh, the backroom team is taking shape. Uh, we've started off uh, with back-end stuff, and uh, we'll be working our way through to front-end stuff, and, and then on to content and what have you. Um, it'll take a little bit of time to, to get things right, uh, but uh, you just have to bear with us and I'll reveal the various plans that, uh, that we have uh, in due course. Now, in the interim uh, period, we've had uh, three away games on the trot. Um, we have had a win, a draw and a loss. Uh, we drew away to Middlesbrough and uh, beat Reading last weekend, uh, a week ago, 
uh, and kept two clean sheets. But yesterday we lost to Bolton in convincing fashion. Uh, so win draw loss away from home sounds good. Uh, two clean sheets sounds excellent. But uh, on a bit of a downer ahead of the uh, match of the season at home to Burnley FC. And uh, people are starting to get a little bit edgy, I think, about the prospect of uh, Burnley coming to uh, Ewood with their tails up. Anyway, uh, Cammy and Eddie are with us today to discuss the football. Uh, players got lots of injuries, uh, internationals coming up and uh, some news on the loans. Uh, after that, we'll be talking about uh, club management, uh, one or two things that... Uh, are coming through. Uh, obviously, Alan Myers has been appointed uh, new director of communications, and uh, other news uh, re relates to Shebi Singh. So, just to introduce uh, Kami in. Uh, thank you for coming on, Kami. Hi, how are you? Only when. I uh, hope you're well. Yep, very well. Um, just reminding me, I'm uh, I'm down under at the moment. Um, I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. So I've forgotten about that. Sorry. Yeah, very well. Yeah, you're doing okay. Yeah, yeah. All, all good, obviously. Um, result yesterday put a bit of downer on things, but um, generally quite happy with where things are going at the moment. Mm. Good, 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 good. Yeah, you're going to be telling us uh, about Alan Myers later on, so we're looking forward to hearing about uh, uh, Alan Myers. Yeah, yeah. I um, think uh, a very, very sensible appointment. That's good to hear. Good to hear. Yeah. Good. And Eddie, how are you? Yeah, I'm fine, thank you. Yeah. Good. good to be back on. Yes, yes. Uh, you've been uh, pretty busy of late. Yeah, yeah. Too busy. Yeah. Well, it's good to have you back on. Um, I just reminded there that. Um, uh, I just lifted my head up from the screen and realised where I am. Yeah, I'm in uh, Tasmania at the moment, uh, last, last night in Tasmania before I leave. Uh, a couple of nights ago, Friday evening, uh, spent a really good time uh, in downtown Hobart uh, with, uh, with Roy, that's Tassie Rover, and also with uh, to Tony Cork, a uh, couple of uh, Blackburn lads. Um, Roy has been over in... Tasmania, uh, well, over in Australia for the last 40, 40 odd years now. Uh, so uh, he's uh, uh, well and truly um, indigenized, shall we say. Uh, but uh, Tony's only just arrived over a couple of years ago. But it was uh, great to catch up with Roy again after a couple of years. And uh, great to meet up with Tony for the first time. And uh, yeah, we had a great time uh, chatting away about uh, all things Rovers and football and uh, how they came to uh, come over to uh, to Australia and Tasmania. So that was fantastic. And I'll be meeting up with uh, some guys in Brisbane uh, tomorrow and Tuesday. Really looking forward to that. And uh, um, on Wednesday, uh, I'll be going to Sydney and be catching up with uh, uh, a few few of the. Uh, uh, BRFCS people uh, in Sydney, uh, the Lord Nelson. So yeah, very much looking forward to that. So um, yeah, the football. Um, Middlesbrough. I don't think either of you uh, went to that match, 
but uh, Reading, you both saw the Reading match, and uh, Cammy, you were there uh, live, yeah? Yes, yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, uh, fantastic win. And, um, yeah, what did, uh, what did you make of the performance? Uh, it sounded a, a pretty solid performance rather than an inspired one. Is that fair? Yeah, I think prior to the game, uh, Bowie was, was intimating that, obviously, um, if he wanted to have any hope of getting into the top six, then uh, Reading was a game that we probably needed to win. Uh, certainly not lose and um, just close that gap down uh, a little bit uh, between us and 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 them because um, they were occupying six at that stage. Um, so yeah, we were set up pretty much the way we have been uh, in previous games, where with Law and Williamson uh, playing in front of the defence, and it was a very solid display. But I thought uh, going forwards, um, we kept. We hit them on the break really well with Conway, Conway and um, uh, Kenny being fantastic uh, out wide and, and interchanging in positions and, and causing them a lot of problems. Um, obviously, Conway scored um, in the first half, uh, but we could have had possibly a second or a third in the first half. Um, their keeper pulled off uh, some some really good saves. Um, second half, um, it was, again... We did well for the first 15, 20 minutes, uh, but then started to drop uh, deeper and, and, and deeper back. And once uh, Kenny went off injured, uh, we had a problem. Uh, we had no outlet in terms of someone who could keep hold of the ball and just slow things down a little bit. And, um, you know, obviously Reading uh, through the kitchen sink at us in the last 10 minutes. And um, there were a few mad goal mouth scrambles um, towards the end of the game. But you'd expect that. Uh, against uh, a free scoring reading side um, so so yeah it was a a, a really really good win uh, obviously vital if we were if we wanted to get into the top 6 um and and a really good performance from from every, a good team performance i would say um you know and and we got a, a massive win yeah eddie what did you make of the match yeah i actually thought it was um one of our better all-round performances that i've seen this season I thought we looked comfortable sort of in all areas of the game, which has been unusual. I think even from most of what I've seen, even when we play quite well, there tends to be, um, we tend to struggle in one department. But yeah, I agree with Cammy. I thought it looked, it was very encouraging. Obviously, then the subsequent result um, wasn't so good, but uh, I was I was very pleased. Uh, it was obviously a must-win game, and uh, it was a great performance. Yeah, must win. And um, truth be told, uh, if 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 we'd have been wanting to keep up with uh, the sixth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth position clubs, we needed to win yesterday at Bolton. And um, interestingly, the Low Williamson combination at Reading uh, performed well. Uh, but there was a, a lot of uh, stick being given to to that uh, combination after the match yesterday. Um, it seems to me as though Low and Williamson together um, can produce, you know, a pretty decent performance away from home. Uh, you know, every you know one in three, four, five, six games, and uh, then the others um, it, it doesn't produce. Uh, Anything in terms of creativity, and you know, even 
in, in terms of uh, you know winning the ball and uh, and keeping possession. Bolton yesterday, um, Cammy, you were you were there. Um, what what was your view of Lowe and Williamson in the middle? Um, Lowe did okay, I thought, but Williamson was atrocious. Um, absolutely no surprise that he was taken off at half time. Um, he, he was slow. He was laboured. Um, he kept giving the ball away. Um, he wasn't providing a lot of cover to the defence um, and got caught out of position a number of times. Um, having said that, I think t- yesterday is the first time where um, I, I would lay the blame at, at Boyer's feet for that. Maybe would have lost anyway, but uh, for 4-0, I think it's, a lot of it was down to the fact that we had to play had to play Spur at centre back and bring Marcus Olsen um, in at you know on on the left and on, as left back that completely disrupted uh, our uh, defensive shape and where we looked solid beforehand um, you know yesterday we were all over the place at the back um, and that was purely down to the fact that we sold Dan um, on transfer dad deadline day and that was a decision of Proved by Boyer, you know, so he wasn't someone above his head um, making that decision. Uh, all footballing decisions um, this year have to have uh, Boyer's approval, so he's approved that. Um, so it's criminal. Then uh, he has been playing with fire really since um, since letting Dan go. We've only got two recognised centre offs at the club, and this was always liable uh, to happen, you know, um, and. You know, with Hanley picking up uh, a slight cough injury, which meant he wasn't fit yesterday, um, we we needed to bring a cover defender in, and if we couldn't get a Dawson or a, a you know Michael Keane from United, then he should have uh, looked at bringing O'Connell or Edwards back. If we can bring them back, I'd be surprised if they haven't got recall clauses in their contracts. But um, so he he should have bought. Or Connell back if if we could, or or Edwards. Um, so that needs to be looked at. Um, so Eddie, uh, what did you make of the match? Uh, well, I've only seen the highlights, um, so I'm not in the best position to comment. But I mean, clearly, we weren't really at the races. I think you're right when you say you know the problem with if we're playing Williamson and Low, there's a severe lack of creativity there, and uh, you know if we're not getting, you know, the matches where it seems to work is where they're really able to, you know, win possession consistently. And then when the creativity is coming from out wide, um, and if that just doesn't work, then we basically, we can't win the win, win the midfield battle. Um, so it's definitely a risk. Um, but it's disappointing to have played that poorly. Um, I read, you know, the, the, the post-match comments from Boyer and he seems to, sort of said that I mean it was it's somewhat given on over the last few months even when we've lost uh, we've we've rarely been totally played off the park I mean this maybe the only the second time in the last eight to twelve weeks so it's very disappointing in a game where really we probably needed something to uh to not even compete yeah I mean the other worry is uh Rhodes looks completely out of form uh he had a one-on-one at nil-nil actually um and and um, Bogdan made a, made a, a decent save, but uh, those are the kind of chances when uh, Rhodes is flying, he he would put, took that one away. But um, 
Bogdan did make a decent save, but he really should have been given a chance. Um, and apart from that, uh, Marcus Olsen had a, a really good shot. Again, it was that nil-nil, which Bogdan did did well to to keep out. So um, Rhodes is a little bit of a worry. Um, he, he seems to be, his confidence seems to be, have been hit. Um, and I'm sure a goal at any time, particularly next weekend, if possible, <laughs> uh, would uh, will get him back up and running. But uh, yeah, he, he's he looked he does look a bit underconfident at the moment, which is really the first time in his Rovers career that he's gone through a, a period like this where he hasn't scored on a, on a regular basis, and his confidence seems to have been hit a little bit. Yeah, well, do do you think uh, it, it's the influence of Rudy Gisted coming in and the two not gelling it as it were uh, they, they seem to link up alright not too bad but I suppose yeah um, it, it's it's a weird one because he, he can't really play up front on his own as well um, You know, this kind of thing that we've said for a long time that um, his game isn't really about holding the ball up and, and linking up play he's more about getting into box and getting into goal scoring opportunities so since Gestet has come in, uh, that role is being fulfilled by uh, Rudy, where he holds the ball up, he makes flick-ons, and, and generally they, when they get the ball together, they seem to link up all right. Um, it's just Rhodes has stopped getting into goal-scoring positions, but uh, the chances he's getting, he's, he's not putting away. He had a header against uh, Reading at 1-0 just before half-time last week, and he kind of, again, it's a kind of chance when he's on form, he put it away, no problems, but he kind of fluffed the header and, and the keeper was able to make a save. And same yesterday, you know, when normally when he's confident and up until sort of this slight bad run that he's have been having, a one-on-one normally results in a goal, you know, and, and yesterday he was one-on-one and he, I mean, the Bogdan made a decent save, but he should have normally tucks them into corners and keepers have no chance. So I suspect it's playing on his mind that he hasn't scored for a while. Um, I'm sure one goal and he'll be back to his usual self and, um, you know, scoring sort of left, right and centre. So uh, I think it's just a matter of him getting a goal sooner rather than later and, and then he'll be back up and running. Yeah. Now, on to the, you know, heavy defeats thing um, we're now uh, a, a, a goal difference is uh, in the minus territory again uh, conceding four and uh, we, we seem to we seem to go down a bit too too, e- too easily um, you know Ipswich uh, Brighton Bolton conceding uh, not just the odd one or two but threes and now fours why, why do you think that is Cammy? Yeah, I mean, there have been games where we've conceded, you know, like you said, three or four goals. Um, and I, I think that comes with having a very young side out there. You know, we've got a lot of young players and you're going to get these up and down performances. And maybe when they go down a couple of goals, you know, we've got a lot of young players and they're not, you know, they haven't got that game management experience at the moment, you know, where they don't know how to quite react when they're two or three nil down and maybe they go a bit gung ho and try and get back into the game and end up conceding a third and fourth goal. Uh, you know, it's to be expected with a young side. You know, if you look at a lot of our players, um, you know, Hanley, may, you know, he's obviously experienced and Robbo um, and yeah, Kilgallen, but a lot of the others are young lads who've, 
who are you know they've got some experience but they've all been chucked in together so to speak so it's you know you can't expect that with 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 a young side but it's something that we we definitely need to sort out for for next season if we want to mount a challenge, you know, a challenge to get into the top six in in twelve months' time. Then we've got to become a lot more resolute. You know, we 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 did it in some respects at Middlesbrough and um, Reading in, in previous away games, but just yesterday, um, I think it was purely down to the fact that we had to play Tommy Spur um, at centre off and Marcus Olsen at left back. That completely disrupted our shape. Um, had we had Hanley and Kilgallen playing together, or or maybe uh, had you know uh, another centre off in there, a recognised centre off, um, I think we would have made it a lot more difficult uh, for for Bolton. But it seemed having Spur in there, it seemed to affect the the, the, the rest of the players. So uh, you know, it's all about keeping keeping the shape, really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Eddie, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, what Cammy said makes a lot of sense. If you're starting to have to shift players around, I mean, Olsen, I've never been particularly press, impressed with him at left back. Um, and if you're if you're having to play players out of position, particularly defensively, it's it's always going to be um, difficult. But I think the other thing is too is it's you know the league is it's such a it's a league where anyone and everyone can beat anyone else, and you know. Surprising results, in a sense, in in that Bolton obviously aren't having a great season to so to lose four 0 to them. You, you know, you can't really overreact um, to one one bad performance uh, because it's just it's it goes really with being in the championship. I think so. It's disappointing, and hopefully, it won't be carried on into into next week. But I think it's you have to really expect it as long as we're in this division. Yeah, and we've had twelve clean sheets this year. Um, you know, so generally. We're kind of heading in the right direction, but um, I was having this debate with a few people on on Twitter last night, where there were calls for maybe a change in manager, etc. But I think a lot of people need to realise. I think I've said this in the past on the forums and on and on the podcast that the teams currently in the top six, you know, the likes of Reading, Burnley, Derby, Forest, Leicester, uh, those teams have had the core of their squad together for 12 to 18 months whereas Rovers have been through a major sort of three years of complete chaos on and off the field and we've had to completely rejig our squad this year you know, we've we've let what 17 players go now and we've probably bought in at least eight to nine different players so this is a, a very much a work in progress and having seen what's gone on over the past three years and having to completely rejig the squad around in what two transfer windows really the, the the summer one and the winter one and having that high turnover of players going out and coming in then really it's a uh, it's amazing that we are actually where we are you know, in the top 10 um, and you know I never expected to get into the top six this year I said it before the start of the season and I've not changed my mind now um, I'm just glad that we've progressed from last year in terms of what was going on on and off the pitch. And at least on the pitch now, uh, Boyer seems to have a plan. You know, he's moved out a lot of the, the wasters, so to speak, the ones who were still thought we were in the Premier League and were only there for a pay packet, really. And he's brought in 
young, hungry players, and he seems to have a plan. But these things, it, they, they take time, and he needs time. You know, the time to judge him is in about twelve months' time, where he would have had the core of his squad together for a year to eighteen months, and then he should be looking to kick on and, and get into the top six. But you know, seeing what's gone on in the last three years, plus the huge uh, turnover in players going in and out, I think we're doing quite well to be in the top 10 and in contention to possibly sneak into the playoffs with, what, 14 games to go or 13 games to go. So so if you look at it, it uh, uh, in the broader context, I think we're, we're doing well. Absolutely. I th- to think of getting rid of him, I think, is, is a bit ludicrous. I mean, the one thing we need is stability. I mean, we, after, after what went on last season, to, to think that we would actually go out of our way to, to bring, you know, to create a little bit more doubt surrounding the future of our manager or trying to bring a new man in and have him recreate his own squad again. I mean, it just, just doesn't seem very smart. Yeah, and it, it seems to be getting more vocal, you know, after yesterday's defeat. I mean, just on Twitter, so obviously it's not a, a, a big sample of fans, but there were quite a lot were saying Boyer out, you know, and, and I just hope it doesn't get to a stage where you know if it goes all wrong uh, against Burnley uh, on Sunday that they are uh, this minority chanting for Boyer out or something like that. That would be absolute disaster, um, you know, because you need to give him, you need to give any manager a bit of time. And in the current circumstances, I think Boyer's the best man for the job. Um, you know, sacking Boyer and bringing a mercenary like Owen Coyle into the club that I don't think that would be a a move forward and there were people on Twitter yesterday say oh we should go for Malky Mackay but come on Malky Mackay is going to have Premier League offers during the summer Uh, he's done a really did a brilliant job at Cardiff uh, and before that Watford Um, so he's going to be waiting for Premier League offers and you know with Venki's reputation uh, within the game I doubt Malky Mackay is going to swap one nutter owner for another nutter Owner, so uh, people think if they think we can get Malky Mackay, I think they they'd be in for a shock. We'd more likely end up with uh, someone, a desperado manager such as you know Coyle, etc. So I think uh, Gary Boy is the best man for the job in the current circumstances. Yeah, with um, j- just to bring some perspective on this. Uh, you know, we're incredibly inconsistent, uh, which has the mark of a mid-table uh, um, team. Uh, every time that we've lost uh, heavily, uh, you know, conceding three or four, we've actually come back and got a decent result. Uh, lost 3-0 to Brighton away and came back uh, with uh, uh, two clean sheets, uh, drawing with Reading and then beating Leeds. Then... Lost 3-1 to Ipswich and came back with uh, uh, a draw, 0-0 away to QPR. And then we, we had uh, a couple of wins on the trot against Millwall and Yeovil. And again, conceded three against Birmingham. And uh, then followed that up with uh, an away win at Leeds and uh, a fantastic draw against Man City. Uh, Forest again will lose 4-2 and then we'll come back. Uh, with uh, two draws, a draw against Derby, should have beaten them, a draw against Barnsley, should have won, uh, beaten uh, Blackpool, uh, Middlesbrough, 
drew and then Reading we've uh, we've beaten away from home uh, three clean sheets uh, uh, amongst the, that little lot as well uh, against uh, Doncaster, Blackpool and Middlesbrough. So each time we've conceded heavily uh, we've actually come back and uh, next Sunday is uh, uh, Burnley so uh, um, we, we really need to rally around and make sure that we keep uh, uh, keep the 34-year record going for for the San Luis supporters, if nothing else. I think the Burnley one's interesting now. Mm. Um, previous, I think they're undergoing their dynamics for them has changed because with QPR not winning yesterday and them beating Derby, uh, suddenly they're now in being tagged as favourites to to get that second spot. So I think where they've been playing a little bit freely in the past, where they're just brilliant to be there and uh, the other, you know, I mean, not not expecting promotion, but now they're suddenly being tagged as favourites to get that second spot. So I think they may start to feel a little bit of that pressure now uh, of being tagged favourites and they've got this five-point gap over Derby and I think it's nine now over QPR. So suddenly they start to get that pressure of, wait, we could actually do this now. You know, we've got this gap and, um, maybe that will start to weigh heavily on them. But, you know, it's a derby game. Um, you know, I know it's a cliche, but honestly, it's a one-off. Um, you could have lost seven on the bounce and gone to the, to the Burnley game. And it, 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 it's a one-off, you know. It'll be a really cracking atmosphere. I'm sure everyone will give it 100% and it'll probably come down to who gets that bit of luck um, and and can, can nick a goal, etc. So, uh, I don't think form really counts in in these kind of games. Yeah, we've uh, uh, we were discussing about uh, uh, Gary Boyer being on the touchline uh, and getting upset with the refereeing decisions. Um, next Sunday, uh, hopefully, the refereeing, refereeing decisions uh, don't take centre piece uh, unless, unless it's in our favour, <laughs> like at, at Turf Moor with Wilco. Um, that was a divine intervention there. But, uh, yeah, do, do you think uh, Gary will be uh, up in the stands again? Um, well, maybe after yesterday, he'll be back on the touchline. <laughs> <laughs> He's uh, very much a touchline kind of manager up until now, so mm. maybe he'll adopt his approach, spend the first half upstairs and come down for the second half. But mm. um, I think after yesterday, he'll be back on the touchline and, um, you know, he'll be sort of helping to, to, to get the team sort of through, through the game. Mm, yeah. uh, Eddie, are uh, you concerned about uh, Burn- the Burnley match? Well, I think you have to be. I mean, it's, it's one of those things they kind of just keep winning. I mean, it's very impressive. Um, when you look through their squad, it's not, I mean, they, they've got a, a sort of a good backbone to their team, but it's not as, I mean, they're seriously overachieving. Um, and if if we're not going to go up, which we probably won't, it's unlikely that we can catch up um, with Wigan and Reading. But you know, to at least keep the record going is um, would be nice. So I think it's 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 probably the first time, uh, certainly in in my lifetime, where we'd go in as as underdogs. Um, and that's certainly a, a shift in the in the dynamic of the for the for the game. I think. I mean, 
it'd be the first time where, in a sense, I wouldn't be surprised at all if we lost. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's they've done fantastic. They really have. Uh, Sean Dash, very good manager, um, and to have that squad, never mind in the top six, but in the top two, they've done absolutely brilliant. Um, he's been. They've had a look in terms of injuries. You know, they've not lost key players for for a long period of the season, so they've had that bit of luck. But to have that squad in the top two is absolutely fantastic achievement by Sean Dyche and you know you've got to give credit to them they've done brilliant but um, you know it's it's a one-off game um, I think we've been pretty good at home for, for most 90% of the games we've done really well at home so I think we can go out there and, and maintain that 34-year record and you know possibly even beat them I think our home records is, is very very decent and I'm sure the players will be hurting after yesterday and and will be ready come next Sunday and hopefully we'll have Hanley back and Kenny back as well and them to make a big difference to us. Um, obviously, Kilgallen's picked up a groin injury yesterday so we'll have to wait and see what happens with that one but if he's out for any period of time then we definitely need to bring a centre-half in this week. And, and you know we can get a result against them next week. We shouldn't be scared of them. I think we just need to be positive and say, well, we're at home. We've got a good record at Ewood uh, this year, and and let's let's go out and give it 100 percent and see where we are at the end of the game. Uh, yeah, just to round things off there, um, uh, the playoffs. Uh, we've played 32 games now uh, and 46 points on the board. So I've got another 14 games to go. Um, my own prediction was uh, that we'll need around about 76 points. I think I said 74 to 76. Um, minimum, absolute minimum for uh, getting into the playoffs. I think you need to look at 70 plus. But, uh, I think 76 needs to be the target. Uh, and that means uh, a minimum of eight wins so it'd be eight wins and six draws would get you the thirty points with no losses to the end of the season, which should be quite something. Um, nine wins, three draws, and two losses would get you the thirty points, uh, or you could even go ten wins and four losses, no draws. So whichever way you look at it, it's a tall order, and um, I, I, I don't see it I reckon, myself. Yeah, I reckon twenty-seven points. 73 will be enough um, only because a lot of the top six are going to be playing each other. I've, I've looked at the fixtures. Mm. Uh, so a lot of the top six will be playing each other in the, in the last 14 games or 13 games, whatever's left over. Um, and so they'll be taking points uh, off each other. Um, and with Reading only drawing yesterday against Yeovil. And, you know, so I think um, 73 points, 74 will be enough. So I'm saying 27, 28 from, mm. from the remaining games would, would be enough. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think more than anything, yes, yesterday, it wasn't the fact that we lost, it was the manner of losing, I think, that, uh, yeah. that hit us, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, to, to, realistically, I think, if we, I don't think we'll get top six, but if we're going to have any chance, we've got to win. We've got eight home games left and six away, I think. So um, we've got to win six of our, of our 
six, win six and draw two of our home games and then see what we can pick up from away from you would. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's not impossible, but uh, yeah, let's see, let's see how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, on the players' side, um, you're just saying there, Cammy, that uh, Kilgallen uh, did his groin at Bolton. And uh, Grant Hanley, of course, uh, 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 tweaked his calf. And um, there, there's something midweek, uh, I think, uh, Alan Nixon and Andy Cryer were tweeting about it, I believe, uh, saying, you know, it's going to be a long, long-term injury. No, it's not. It's going to be fit. And what have you? Uh, were, were you keeping up with those tweets uh, this past week? Yeah, I mean, it was. I think it was Thursday, um, Thursday night. Um, I'd heard something in the evening. I think someone was playing silly beggars uh, with with the journalists because it wasn't just Nico. It was in a lot of the national papers. You know, the Sun, the the Mail, the Independent even had a little um, byline where it said that. Um, He'd picked up a uh, a calf injury, which would possibly rule him out for the rest of the season. So uh, Nico got a lot of pelters from fans, but it wasn't just him. There were a number of journalists running that story. Uh, what Andy did was he most likely checked with his um, agent or with even Boyer, and they were saying no, it's not a serious injury, um, and he could possibly be fit for the Bolton game. Um, and I think he did have a fitness test, but just wasn't ready. Uh, but he, he should be back um, next weekend against Burnley. So I think, you know, it was just... I, I know Alan got a lot of pelters all over the place, but it just wasn't him. It was quite a number of journalists. I think someone had been playing silly beggars with journalists and uh, told them that he was out for a long time and, and it looks like he'll be back uh, pretty quick next weekend, maybe even. So, so yeah, I was keeping up with that little tete-a-tete that was going on Twitter mm, <laughs> on yeah. Thursday night. Yeah. Good. Yeah, and um, yeah, so n- we've uh, got n- no fit centre halves at the club at the moment. F- you know, first team centre halves, pretty amazing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, th- this is one I will have a go at Boyer with, and I said it earlier in the podcast. Uh, no way should you be selling Dan and then not bringing a replacement. I don't care if you can't get Dawson or Michael Keane or whatever because they want to be playing first team. That's fine. We needed to have a body in, and if we can't get a body in, then you've got to get Sonogu uh, or um, Jack O'Connell, <clears throat> who I rate very, very highly back into the club, or even Edwards. You know, we needed. You can't have two fit centre offs and expect to to get away with it. And you know, yesterday we got caught. You know, you had to play Spur in there, or you might have put Law in there, but. Uh, you, you, you know, it's a specialist position, and it's ludicrous to play with fire like that at a key stage of the season. You know, you've got to, got to bring in a recognised centre half, even as cover. That's fine, but you, you, know, you just got to do it because um, you're playing with fire. And and unfortunately, Rovers got caught yesterday. And as you say, now if we had to play a game today, we've got no centre offs. You know, uh, Hanley's not fit. And and Kilgannon picked up a um, a, a groin injury, so you know that needs to be addressed on Monday. It's no point waiting till Thursday, Friday. We've got to bring in someone uh, straight away on Monday. Also, to uh, compound matters, uh, 
uh, Tom Kearney was injured at Reading. Uh, so instead of uh, God knows how many midfielders, we're min- minus one. Uh, there, Ben Marshall, of course, is already out long term. Uh, Josh King is coming back uh, to training, full training, uh, th- this coming week. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, the the great news is that Dixon Etuhu is close to a return. We don't know what it's returned to what, but he's close to return. So that's uh, something to look forward to uh, in, in in those packed ranks in the midfield. Yeah, I mean, I think we've got 50 midfielders mm. and no defenders, so yeah. big imbalance there. Massive what do you think, Eddie? I'm not, well, for starters, I'm not really sure if Dixon or two who counts as a, as a midfielder anymore. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely an imbalance in the squad, that's for sure. Um, we, you know, it seems like every player we've ever signed... Um, you know, is is to play in basically the, that one position. Even when we sign midfielders, we tend not to. They're all central midfielders, and then we play them out of position to get them to, you know, put them out wide and things. So, if I mean, I don't even know if there's much point in in going out of. I mean, obviously the the possibility of a loan signing, but um, in the summer it definitely needs to be something that we need to look at. Um, and I would have thought if. At the time, I thought when if we were let, you know going to let Scott Dan go, that you'd you'd get some sort of replacement in. But it's uh, we've definitely uh, taken a risk, and it, it's it's backfired a bit. Yeah, uh, another midfielder um, who's on his way back is Corey Evans. Uh, he uh, got some playing time uh, off the bench yesterday. Uh, so yeah, that that is one good good positive. Uh, after you know, after all the recent uh, injury problems that uh, that we've had in in the midfield area, uh, he's uh, not in the Northern Ireland squad uh, for the uh, for the round of internationals coming up. Uh, good, but uh, yeah, that, that that is good news, and uh, it's also good news in in a selfish sense uh, that uh, Jordan John Rodson, Tom Kearney, and uh, Craig Conway uh, aren't going to be involved. Um, you know, keep them fit for, uh, or, or uh, save them from injury. Or uh, in, in the case of Jordan, Jordan and Craig, uh, b- before the uh, Burnley match, uh, Grant Hanley has been called up to the Scotland squad, but uh, uh, I don't think he'll be going now that uh, he's uh, he's niggled his calf. Um, and another player who's been called up is uh, uh, one of the younger lads, uh, Mark Edgar. Uh, he's got into the Northern Ireland under-19 squad. Uh, I also think there's been uh, so, some of the, the, the younger lads who, who were called up to the uh, uh, sort of England youth teams. Um, one of the lads that was on the, uh, on the bench yesterday against Bolton, uh, I think he was called up recently. Is that, is that right, Cammy? Yeah, Rittenberg, he played for yeah. uh, England under-19s and they won 4-0 and he scored a goal as well. So he's done well. And Conor Mahoney has been playing for the uh, under-17s, I think, England under-17s and done well. So, yeah, a lot of the, the young players are getting national call-ups, which is uh, brilliant to see. Uh, talking of a midfielder, I saw uh, Darbo play for the under-21s. Um, um, he looks decent, you know. He's got uh, good energy gets up and down the pitch. Uh, he's, he, he can be a defensive midfielder, but he's not shy about getting forward. Uh, and I'd like to see him possibly given a go. You know, um, He's 
certainly can play that holding role and then break forward. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see him and Evans play together in, in midfield because um, uh, Dabo can play the low role in terms of uh, um, helping out defensively, but he he would also get forward, or certainly in the under-21 games that I've seen him play, he's definitely got uh, a forward uh, quite a number of times. So so uh, that's an interesting one to see if we get him involved over the coming weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Eddie, presumably you you know of uh, Dabo from uh, uh, from watching uh, uh, the, the the French football. Is is that right? Yeah, I mean, I, I was very surprised when he signed for us, particularly as it has a, if I understand correctly, has a view to a permanent move. And, uh, I mean, he has a good rep, had a good reputation at least. Um, and then sort of in the end, he's, for whatever reason, uh, whilst the management um, at Montpellier were happy with him, the actual coaching staff uh, chose to chose to stick with the more experienced players. I've only seen him on a couple of occasions, but... Um, yeah, he's a, he's a defense. I said at the time, he's, he's a kind of slightly reminds me of Yaya Torre. And obviously he's not going to be anywhere near as good as that, but that ability to be a ball winning midfielder who can actually at the same time, um, get forward, um, and, and participate in attacking, um, in the, in the, you know, the attacking half of the game. And a big physical presence, so he's probably suited to the league. Um, I read a couple of res- reports from his first couple of matches for the under twenty ones, and it seemed that he was struggling with the pace of things. Did Cami, when you saw him, was is he adapting to the the speed of the game a bit more? Yeah, the first game, he he, you could see he was struggling. He looked like someone who hadn't played a lot this season as well. He looked a bit rusty, but uh, the, the the last game he was. He looked much much better. Obviously, there's a massive jump from under 21s to to you know championship competitive football. But uh, I was it was quite promising to see uh, some of the stuff that he did. Um, so I think he's starting to adapt, uh, and he's possibly now at the stage where you just gotta maybe chuck him on for 15 20 minutes or even risk it and play him start him in a game because that's the only way he's gonna adapt um, to it. But uh, he looks decent. Um, um, you know, he, he particularly in the last game where he seemed a lot fitter and more uh, up to kind of match speed. Um, but uh, you know, it, it is a big jump from under twenty one's football. But uh, no, no, he 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 looks promising at times. So um, definitely, someone who would at least be interesting to see in the first team, and maybe someone you can chuck on in the last fifteen twenty minutes of a game and see see how he how he goes. Yeah, I mean, last year he was keeping out some very good midfielders in the Montpellier team when he had his run in the first team. I mean, they have they do have a couple of, of good players there. This year they're obviously struggling, so I think um, they've chosen to, to, to stick with experience. But um, I was yeah, surprised that uh, he got some. Yeah, I was talking to someone at World Soccer Magazine that I know, and didn't he play against Paris Saint-Germain last year? And he was close to being man of match in that game. So, you know, if he's done it against that high-quality uh, opposition, then then you know he, he could be some player for us if he's given a, a go. Certainly at this level, yeah. Yeah. and he seemed to have the attributes anyway, physical attributes uh, to to play at championship level. Um, you know, he's he's really sort of 
physically, like you said, like Yaya Toure, physically built in the same mould and, and has certain elements of Yaya Toure to his game up, but obviously um, you know, he's nowhere near as good as that, but I can see the resemblance, definitely. Um, interested in what you said there, Eddie. Uh, when we did the uh, January window um, roundup, uh, we thought that uh, he would not be coming on a permanent deal, that we didn't have a, a, anything permanent lined up. But you were suggesting just then that uh, there, there, there may well be something lined up. The French press reported it, that there was an option to buy him. Um, I, when I would read the English reports, which obviously there weren't a lot of them, but there they it was never mentioned. But uh, all of the French reports said that we had the uh, we had an option to buy him. I don't know how true that is, um, but obviously because Montpellier are a reasonably big club here, uh, I would have thought that um, they would have been correct, but I don't know. It's some, certainly something I can look into, but at the time it was reported that we did have an option. I mean, it would make sense because he's come in and he's, you know, being played at that under twenty one levels at the moment, and it, it it did on the face of it, it looks like a bizarre kind of move because you bought someone in on loan, and normally you only bring people in on loan who you're going to possibly put into the first team straight away. But with with Darbo, it looks like he's been bought in and he's um, being slowly phased in to to first team football. Now with a loan move, you don't tend to see that because it's someone you want to bring in and who can bring an immediate impact to the side so maybe there is something in it that we're looking at okay let's have a look at him over the back end of this season and then look to either loan him again on a full sort of season long uh, basis next year or there's a possibility of getting him in on a on a permanent year so that would make a lot of sense having seen what's happened since he signed where he's not been you know playing getting any game time for the first team and he's been slowly uh, sort of um, adjusted to to English football and, and the other thing is that the French press also reported that we'd had him on trial um, before we took him on loan which um, again I don't think was mentioned in the English press but made me think that it also then made more sense that we would have only taken him on trial if there was some sort of idea that we'd be signing him more permanently. Um, but it, that was certainly every every news report had that he had uh, spent a week training with us uh, before we decided to take him on loan. Interesting, very very interesting. It sounds more like a developmental thing uh, than a short term fix, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Good. Um, well, talking about loans, uh, the loan window uh, closes on the fourth Thursday in March, so that's the 27th of March. Uh, Luke Varney has already joined from Leeds, uh, made his debut from the bench uh, at Reading. Uh, Leon Best, uh, he's gone to Sheffield Wednesday after turning down Charlton. Uh, I think it's a one-month extendable loan deal so uh, fingers crossed that uh, he does well enough to uh, to stay at Sheffield Wednesday until the end of the season uh, Josh Morris has uh, gone to join uh, Alex Marrow at Fleetwood Town 
he'll be on loan till 25th of March. Uh, and uh, finally, Lucas Neal uh, has uh, left uh, left the club. He's no longer training with the club, and uh, the speculation has ended uh, with regards to him uh, playing for the Rovers again. And he signed for Watford uh, on a, a short-term deal. And uh, there's uh, some speculation uh, that uh, Michael Keane uh, is wanted uh, to, to come in as uh, cover at centre-half from Manchester United. Um, now, on the permanent deal side, um, Simon Eastwood, uh, keeper, has uh, just signed a new deal to summer 2016. Um, and David uh, Raya, the uh, Spanish uh, uh, youth, youth keeper, uh, he's uh, just signed uh, long-term uh, on professional terms. And uh, finally, uh, Nuno Enrique, is signed for Jagiellonik of Poland. Uh, I think I said that right. Uh, after a loan spell at Aruca uh, in Portugal. So yeah, there's uh, quite quite a lot of uh, movement uh, in the last uh, what uh, two months. Pretty amazing, and um, that kind of brings us round to uh, discussion of uh, club management. Uh, the uh, summer of 2012 saw us bringing in uh, the, the five uh, Portuguese unknowns, uh, in addition to Nuno Gomes, who was certainly very well known. And uh, it also saw Shebi Singh coming in. And uh, he was widely believed to be responsible for the influx of unsuitable players on bloated contracts, including the Portuguese contingent and uh, also... Players like Murphy, Etuhu, uh, Best. Uh, but uh, Shebi Singh, it's just been uh, uh, announced that he's been appointed uh, team observer uh, of his former club, that's uh, Johor Darul Tazim of uh, Malaysia, where he played in the 1980s. And um, I had a, a quote uh, uh, again in the Lancashire Telegraph from. Uh, going back to December 2013, where uh, where he says, I haven't been involved with the club at all this season, quote-unquote. Um, now, question is, will he be leaving the employ of Rovers or Pune, whichever way you look at it? Uh, Kami, what uh, what do you have on that? What's, uh, what's the truth as far as you know it? Well, he's not globally advising Venkis at the moment, that's for sure. Um, he he was never paid by Rovers. It was always he was employed by Venkis India, and he was play, paid by Venkis India. So he, he was paid by Rovers directly. As far as I know, he's been back in India. Um, he's been helping with the football academy thing that Balaji Rao was very keen to get off the ground, um, and that was pretty much been his involvement. Obviously. Shebby being Shebby, I'm sure he was itching to get another go at Ewood. But with Gary Boyer running the football side of things and meeting with um, Mrs Desai on a regular basis, both face-to-face and via the telephone. So he's been running the football side. And commercially, I wouldn't let Shebby run a corner shop, never mind a football club. So he, he can't get involved in that side of things. So it looks like he's moved on and taken 
employment in Malaysia, which is about his level. So I think hopefully we've seen the end of end of Shebi Singh, and he'll no longer be uh, linked with Venkis or definitely not linked with anything to do with Rovers, which can only be a, a positive. Do you think he's still on the payroll of uh, of Pune? Um, honestly, I don't know. Uh, I need to check, but um, I suspect he still is. And um, you know, I, I, I would need to check that. But I suspect he still is on some kind of retainer with 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 Venkis. But at the moment, he's got no role or influence regarding Venkis and and the Rovers. And hopefully that's the way it continues. Mm, good. Now, we said earlier uh, that uh, we've now got a, a new director of communications. Uh, Alan Myers has been brought in uh, f- in whirlwind fashion, uh, having left the uh, communications director position at Everton, where he presumably worked together with uh, Mike Cheston, who's the a new financial director announced at the end of January and it's going to be taking up position in March. Um, I think it was the 17th, was it? And uh, he he joins Ian Sylvester, the club secretary, uh, who was club secretary at Liverpool uh, previously before joining uh, in June 2012 uh, to take over from Anthony Bloch. Now, uh, Alan Myers uh, worked for 12 years for Sky Sports News as their Northwest Bureau Chief. Uh, then he was uh, Press Officer at Everton from uh, 1996 to 2001. And he replaces uh, Paul Agnew uh, in, uh, in, in the sense that uh, uh, he'll be now uh, the, essentially the Press Officer uh, and uh, he'll be looking after um, uh, the PR uh, for... Uh, for Blackburn Rovers now. Um, now, uh, the announcement uh, came on Thursday, and the appointment is uh, with immediate effect from Monday. That's pretty incredible, isn't it, Cam? Can you can you take us through it? Yeah, uh, he, he left. Obviously, left Everton earlier this week or last week, and I think Rovers became aware of it. So this wasn't something that they. It, that we tapped him up or, or headhunted him, so to speak. I think it was they became aware that obviously Alan was going to be leaving Everton for for whatever reasons, and then decided, okay, we need someone who can re-engage with the fans, someone who can communicate with the fans, someone who can find out what the issues are and and bring the fans and the club together. Now, Alan's been doing that at Everton. Um, Obviously, previously he was a press officer there, but in the last six months, I think he's been at Everton. He was a director of communications, and the Everton fans that I know and and what I've read on a lot of the forums are absolutely gutted that he's leaving because he came in uh, and the, his first thing was they were really unhappy with the club crest that they have for this year. The massive issue for Everton fans. He came in. He communicated with the fans. He then set up a poll where three different designs were given to fans and the fans chose what the club crest is going to be for for from next season. So, you know, he was already in the good books, but then he's worked with 
the community, he's got the community involved with the club. He did a, a, a tea uh, sort of afternoon where 100 Everton fans were invited down to, to uh, Finch Farm, which is their training ground. And they spent a couple of hours just talking Everton. And I know he's definitely going to be doing something like that at Rovers pretty, pretty soon. So he's he understands he's a very, very good communicator. He'll help to get fans back on board. He'll talk to fans. He'll put the fans' viewpoints across to the owners and to the club and vice versa. So I can only see this as being a positive move. Um, I know there were some people on, certainly on Twitter, was saying that this is a spin doctor. But, you know, I think any communication with the fan, I don't care, with the club and the fans can only be a good thing. I don't care if it is spin doctoring or whatever. If, if he can take the fans' viewpoints and get them across to the owners, then, then that can only be a good thing. And he's a very honest bloke. Um, he'll, he won't just look for the positives. He'll, he'll go out and find the, the negative fans, you know, the ones who were who were um, what got negative viewpoints. And I know he was, Abby, God bless him, was having a go at him uh, over the last few days. Not not malicious, just uh, Abby being Abby, getting his viewpoints across in the only in a unique manner that Abby has. <laughs> and uh, he was engaging with him, you know, talking to him and saying, I, you know, I understand. And uh, I'm sure people like Abby will find Alan uh, uh, a good sounding board and, He'll he'll respect what they've got to say, you know, and and talk to them, and and you know, even take their viewpoints forward. So I can only see this as being um, a, a good move by the club, and certainly a sensible one. Yeah, I think uh, the sticking point was uh, uh, perceived uh, support for Steve Keane. Uh, during uh, Steve Keane's time, I think uh, Alan Myers was uh, perceived to to have been uh, sticking up for Steve Keane at the time, which uh, obviously is uh, not not viewed uh, <laughs> very uh, very well uh, on the uh, among Blackburn Rovers fans. But he, if you look through his Twitter, um, yeah, and it, it's all there. Mm. He was the, one of the only uh, TV journalists who was saying consistently he also understood why Rovers fans were unhappy so um, you know I, I think he's been trying to, to get a balanced viewpoint across I don't think he was sticking up for Steve Keane hmm. so to speak I think he was just saying he, uh, it, it was a pretty unique situation that was facing Rovers two years ago and he was one of the only obviously we had Andy Cryer and Henry Winter and um, uh, Nick Harris uh, who, who were in the written press, but he was one of the only TV ones who was saying, well, I actually understand why Rovers fans are unhappy and talking about John Williams and, um, you know, Tom Finn and the way they run the club. Because he was the Northwest Bureau Chief, he actually understood uh, Rovers quite well and he understands Rovers quite well because we, we were a Premier League club and it was part of his job to cover Rovers. So uh, I think he, he knew, he could see the way the club had disintegrated uh, over the three years, uh, you know, since Venkis took over, and he was one of the only ones who was saying, "Well, I actually do understand why Rovers fans are angry, and I empathise with that as well." So, um, I think you have to look at it at the, in the broader context. Yeah, yeah. Well, look forward to uh, uh, Alan uh, this this coming week, uh, um, saying uh, saying what he what he has to say about. Uh, uh, sort of historical issues, shall we say, 
And uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I just look forward to, to hearing what he has to say uh, about uh, his his task uh, at at the Rovers. Um, but uh, yeah, um, good luck to him in his uh, new position. Yeah, and he'll be talking to us hopefully in a podcast uh, in the next week to ten days, and I'll definitely ask that question. You know, I think it's only fair that there's this perception out there. So mm. uh, we'll, I'll, I'll definitely ask that question about the Keane issue and, and get some you know, clarification for people. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Eddie, do, do you have any uh, views on uh, uh, Alan Myers coming in? I mean, obviously, I, I don't know that much about him, but um, I certainly am. I, I don't think it's right just to think that these this is, you know, the club hiring a spin doctor. I think it's normal to have someone in charge of uh, running communications and interactions with the fans, and uh, he's obviously experienced, so I think it's a step in the right direction. I mean, what we need to be appointing is people who have done similar jobs before and have experience working within football. Um, and so I think whenever we're making an appointment, of someone who's actually has that experience, it's good for the club and it helps to bring back um, the level of professionalism that we had uh, three or four years ago. So I think it can only be a good thing, really. Um, and I hope that we make more similar appointments um, over the coming months. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, it's it's good that uh, the um, executive uh, at uh, uh, at the Rose is uh, starting to take shape now, um, especially when uh, Mike Cheston uh, comes in uh, in a couple of weeks' time. It's starting to look a, a little bit like a football club these days, which is good news. Um, speaking of uh, the executive at Rovers, uh, this uh, this last week, uh, Derek Shaw, the managing director, has uh, come out uh, with uh, some comments on the Football League's uh, uh, financial fair play, the FFP uh, rules. He's uh, quoted in the Lancashire Telegraph as saying it is a complete nonsense. Uh, of course, uh, there's uh, something in uh, the major newspapers, um, uh, Garden Telegraph, I believe, uh, looking at uh, UEFA's investigation into uh, 76 clubs uh, regarding uh, FFP. And I think uh, that, uh, Cami, you've been doing quite a bit of uh, work on FFP. And uh, I think there's uh, some suggestion that there are a number of teams um, domestically, uh, not not uh, not the Champions League and Europa League clubs, but uh, there are some uh, clubs domestically that uh, that may, may challenge uh, FFP. And there's a suggestion that uh, Blackburn Rovers may be among the unnamed clubs. Uh, can you shed any light on that? Yeah, I think if you go back to November, I, we did a podcast and I predicted this. Come March, April, May time, there could well be a challenge to the um, Football League FFP rules. And uh, the, the people I was talking to in London, who are pretty much experts in this area, were, were saying that uh, we could see a challenge, uh, a legal challenge, uh, particularly from the who have come down from the Premier League and were party to the FFP agreement when it was originally done by the Football League uh, in 2012. Um, so that's what seems to be happening now. The Guardian uh, ran a, a report this week saying that uh, uh, a number of uh, Football League clubs were going to be looking to challenge the FFP rules, and they mentioned Rovers as being one of 
the, the possible clubs who, who are going to be involved in this with Leicester, QPR, Reading, uh, Wigan uh, and Bolton being the other ones. Um, and and um, it, it definitely looks like that's the way it's heading. Um, I, I was talking to someone in London who's saying that particularly the, the clubs who've come down from the Premier League, they, it will be a very, very interesting uh, legal challenge because, number one, they weren't party to the agreement when it was uh, done uh, two years ago, but also uh, they could use the argument uh, in terms of uh, their income was based, uh, sorry, their costs were based on being, being in the Premier League and to have to cut down those costs within a 12-month period for the clubs who came down last year and a 24-month period for the clubs who came down with Rovers, you know, Bolton and Rovers and, uh, and Wolves, for example. That's, uh, it makes them uncompetitive and it's not feasible. Um, so, and as long as they showed some sign of cutting costs, it, you know, that that should, you know, it, the guy was saying that there's going to be a leak of challenge and those clubs, according to the experts, would have a pretty strong case and it would be interesting to see how the the uh, you know the courts would react to it. So this is what's happening now. You know, it's in the Guardian, and the Guardian don't tend to run with cock and bull stories. So I think we're seeing a number of clubs going to band together and look to to challenge the FFP football league FFP rules. And I can see it happening in the next four to six weeks because uh, there's going to be a lot of clubs hit by the FFP uh, if it's you know implemented. Uh, as it's intended to, um, you know, for, for, for next season. Uh, so it, this is going to be a fast-moving story now in the next sort of four to eight weeks. And we definitely are going to start to see some legal challenges, I think. And it will be interesting to, to see what happens from there. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, what I predicted in, what, November is starting to happen now. And um, it will be interesting to see uh, where we go from here. Yeah. Um, yeah, you were. Uh, t- the, the other, sorry, uh, when the yeah. other thing was they had the football league in the Guardian paper as well, um, the article, and it seemed like they were saying, "Bring it on, bring on a legal challenge." You know, uh, we won't let um, the the actual quote was, "We won't let a minority of clubs uh, 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 change the, the the decision that the majority of the other clubs had made." So. Uh, you know, it looks like the football league was saying, "Yeah, bring on a legal challenge. We're, we're ready for it." So, so it, it could well get ugly as well in the mm. next few weeks. Mm. Yeah, but certainly the expert that I've been talking to in London, who's very clued up on this area, seems to think that uh, the clubs have come down from the Premier League in particular would 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 have a really good legal challenge to this. Yeah. Um... You, yeah, you were discussing it uh, uh, back in November, early December uh, with me, and uh, we briefly discussed it in podcast number 70, uh, which was uh, our Christmas special, if, if people want to listen to, to that uh, previous podcast again. Good. So, yeah, keep your eyes on that one. Um, now, Eddie, did you, have you been keeping up with uh, the FFP at all? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I read about um, the fact that it could be difficult to enforce um, and that clubs are going to challenge it. Uh, I mean, it, it 
across the board, both in at the European level, the Premier League, and then the Football League, it's it seems that it has so many problems, and uh, you know the little loopholes that clubs are beginning to find. Um, I would imagine if I had to bet, I would guess that they won't be able to enforce it, basically. But the, the problem you have when, once you start talking about legal challenges with sport is that the whole legal system that the football um, football leagues use, if it's challenged in conventional by conventional legal standards, um, they don't really hold up. So I'm I'm always hesitant to see clubs actually going to through the courts for things like this just because you know you run the risk that the whole system in a sense sort of starts to collapse once people decide that they're going to seek seek um you know legal solutions to footballing problems but it'll definitely be interesting um and i think it, it cammy's right it's obviously unfair to clubs who are relegated um to think that they have to completely restructure their um their you know budgeting uh within 12 to 24 months I mean, just to add to that, I think we could see a, a, a pan-European challenge to FFP as well, um, a bit like what happened with the uh, the Bosman ruling in terms of it changing the face of football in terms of transfers and contracts, etc. Um, you could see a, a European challenge, not just to the FFP uh, in football league, but the UEFA one as well, which may be challenged by certain clubs uh, who are going to struggle to meet it. So, as as Eddie says, and with Eddie, uh, you know, the Bosman thing went through, was uh, conventional laws being tried to, uh, being applied to football, and that completely changed the way transfers work in terms of uh, player movement and contracts. And uh, if this is taken through the courts and trying to apply uh, conventional laws to to football again, it could well change the face of football uh, again. So it, th- this could become a very very big story over the next you know f- six months or so. Not just the football league uh, financial fair play, but also uh, the, the UEFA one, and you know that that's even more complex and uh, be interesting to see what happens with that and how uh, the, the the big clubs within. Uh, you know the European superpower clubs, uh, how they handle that situation, and uh, you know we could well uh, be looking at uh, the uh, European Super League uh, idea being mooted again. Mm. Yeah, um, you're saying in uh, podcast seventy that uh, uh, you might be uh, preparing something for publication. Uh, in the new year, um, w- will you still be publishing? Yeah, I have got uh, an article together, and um, the the guy that I've been talking to in London is quite happy for for uh, an interview to be done with him, um, with with one of us going down to London and talking to him um, on a one to one basis, and him taking us through uh, all the complex sort of legal aspects of all of this. I think it would make a really interesting podcast and. Uh, it's just finding the time, I think, um, but it's something now it's becoming a, a wider issue that uh, definitely publish an article soon and possibly uh, follow it up with a with an interview um, so that you can hear an expert's viewpoint on it. Excellent. Right. Well, I think uh, I think we'll have to round up there, um, running out of time a little. 
Um, just a couple of things. Uh, first of all, forthcoming fixtures. Um, obviously, uh, next next weekend we're we're playing Burnley. That's uh, the big match at um, Brighton. Uh, the match was rearranged a couple of times. Brighton uh, had uh, FA Cup commitments. They eventually lost uh, to Hull two one in the end. But uh, anyway, we've uh, had the Brighton match rearranged for Tuesday the first of April. Uh, that's at home. Uh, so yeah, we'll uh, we'll have to wait uh, another month before uh, we can catch up with uh, with the other teams. Uh, in terms of games played. Um, you'll have noticed uh, that Parson Blue hasn't uh, uh, been doing his match reports for the Reading and Bolton matches. Um, apologies for that. Uh, he hasn't been able to uh, get down to Reading and uh, to, to Bolton. Uh, so uh, we'll, uh, we'll have to uh, uh, wait for, for the match reports for uh, future matches uh, coming up, hopefully with uh, the Burnley match this this coming weekend. So uh, if you've been waiting for Parson Blues match reports, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, sorry about that. Uh, hopefully, normal service will be resumed uh, very soon. Uh, thank you ever so much uh, to Cammy and Eddie for coming on today. Um, you're uh, you both been uh, pretty busy, I believe. Uh, so thanks for taking the time out. Um, Cammy, have you anything else to, to add for today's podcast? Uh, not really. Just other than that, we've got obviously got Burnley at home on Sunday, followed by uh, uh, Bournemouth uh, midweek. So that's two crucial um, uh, home games coming up in quick succession. And the only other thing was we were facing a fixture pile-up, uh, not of our own making, obviously, with the uh, Brighton game having to be rescheduled about 50 times. And had Sheffield Wednesday qualified for the semi-finals, uh, you know, um, then the game in April, that would have also been cancelled. So we would have had a real nightmare end to the season in terms of uh, fitting games in. But uh, they've now gone out of the FA Cup, so, so that one will be fine. Um, so, yeah, other than that, um, I'm really looking forward to the next week and two home games. Yeah, yeah, good, good. Um, yeah, Eddie, um, you're going to be watching the Burnley match. Obviously, the Burnley match is televised uh, this uh, this coming Sunday. Uh, you're going to be watching that, I presume? Yes, yeah, I'm sure the, the boys of Paris will be back for it. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it will be good. Hopefully, hopefully we get a good result. Yeah, yeah, good. And, uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. It's a pleasure, as always. Thank you. And uh, yeah, uh, I'll be back in, uh, well, back in the Northern Hemisphere for, for the next podcast, I think. So um, yes, uh, looking forward to a bit of stability after being away for oh, over a month, uh, I think it'll be. But uh, yeah, first of all, um, be up in Brisbane and, and then Sydney. So uh, can't wait to, to catch up with people there. That should be good fun. And uh, yeah, in the meantime, um, just like to say thank you to everyone for, for listening in and wherever you are in the world, do take good care. Thank you very much for listening. Sports Social Podcast Network. 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.